0: Well, this morning I'd like to talk about God's order of headship out of uh, First Corinthians chapter 11. And uh, when my father-in-law died just some time back and we were going through his things, I look, looked through his uh, library. He didn't have a large library. But I found this book, uh, God's Divine Order by J. Ward Shank. I don't never knew J. Ward Stank. I think he passed away back in the early nineties. Uh, did you know him, Leon? You may have heard of him. Uh, back, I think, in the eighties, he compiled this book of uh, writings on God's order of headship from many, many different writers from many different denominations, and and also studied. Uh, the scriptural basis for it. Uh, It was a real, it's a very well-done work. Uh, He quotes people like Willard Mayer and and people that we know and some of us have met. I'm sure Art knows Willard Mayer or probably has met him. And uh, it's a very very good book. I'm not going to be quoting from that book this morning, but that book did have an impact on, on this message and uh, so I wanted to acknowledge that I think the, I think the division for the book uh, back in the 80s if you're aware of Mennonite history a lot of uh, Mennonite churches were losing uh, the head bailing. and it was uh, concern to firm up uh, conviction for god's Now, that is not uh, why I'm preaching the message here this morning. I don't think we're about to lose uh, the headship bill. I think, uh, as I remember back, I don't know, 20-some 20, 20 years ago, when we decided to uh, go to the hanging bale, we were told, at least I was, from other people that that's the first step in losing uh, the bailing. And it's inevitable that, it, that eventually it will be gone. And I am thankful that that has not happened. And I am grateful cool for uh, the way that our sisters the themselves. And so that is not, not why I'm... Uh, preaching this sermon this morning, but I think it is something that we need to remember and, and remember why we do it. It appears like Paul was addressing the issue here because he felt it needed attention. And uh, that, like I said, that is not why I'm doing it here. I don't feel like it's something that needs some major overhaul. I'm just encouraging what I'm seeing. <laughs> I will mention this in passing, I do also think that, that you ladies do quite well in modesty. That's uh, another subject for another time, but uh, I want to uh, commend you on that. I think many of you probably wear longer dresses than your mother did at your age. And um, people were telling us that the passing fad, it won't stick around. I have for a pretty long time now, and, uh, and I appreciate that. And that's a blessing to uh my brotherhood. I did say that that I'm not uh, fearful here this morning, that we're about to lose the bailing, but I have, in my lifetime, uh, seen congregations lose the bailing congregations that I was very familiar with growing up that would have been part of our conference or district uh, there in Lancaster. And uh, today it's it's gone, it's no longer there. And I remember very well sitting in those very same congregations where every uh, lady was was male. So the the goal this morning is to, to strengthen what we have and pass it on on to our children. God has a plan for order, and when we fit into His order, that's the best place we can be. And that's what I want you to take home with you today. So let's turn our Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll read the, the first half of the chapter. <clears throat> Verse 1 Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I pray you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man, praying or prophesying, Having his head covered dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be torn But if it be a thing for a woman to be torn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head. For as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things are of God. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you? that if a man have long hair, it is the same unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Some of the the questions that uh, come up when we read this in Scripture is uh, this teaching was just for the church there at Corinth. That, that question is raised. And now, and, uh, this is, I think, the only epistle, our only letter, that Paul wrote that has this. And so, why was that? Was it just for the church at Corinth? Well, let's ponder that just a little bit. Go back in your Bible to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, where he, where he begins that letter and, and see what he says there, starting at verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and to Sophanes, our brother. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. So, right there it is. Right there it says it. To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. But now, listen to what he says here. With all that in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. So, he's addressing this letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, That is clear. But he says to all that in every place call on the Lord. So it's clear there that he has uh, an audience in mind beyond the Corinthian church when he he writes this letter. Going back to chapter 11, uh, the last verse we read there, verse 16 says this, but if any man seemed to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. There again he's saying that, uh, the, the way I would put that into my own words, if somebody is disagreeing or not willing to accept this teaching, uh, that's, we have no custom like that. This is, uh, this is something we do. And, and it's expected of all the, all the churches. Now let's step back a little bit. Still thinking of this whole thing, is this just for the church at Corinth? Let's look at some of the subjects surrounding this subject. Uh, the last half of this chapter, uh, he deals with the Lord's Supper. And we will uh, talk about that just a little bit Later. But he he obviously switches gears in verse 17 and he starts talking about the communion service. Uh, Is that accepted by all churches for all times? And have you ever heard somebody say that the communion service is just for the church at Corinth? No. we have never heard that. And so why... Why is the first half of the chapter or the second half, you know, um, that, that doesn't make much sense. Uh, the next chapter, chapter 12, is talking about spiritual gifts. Again, it's accepted throughout uh, Christianity. Past, present, will be in the future. It's, it's scripture, is for everybody, it's for all churches, for all time. It's accepted that way uh, universally and so so why would the first half of chapter 11 not be go on to chapter 13 uh, the love chapter and and we, we accept that as for all people for all time and we go on uh, chapter 15 talks about the resurrection and we often refer to that at uh, funerals and so forth and And we don't, we never think of that as just for the church at Corinth. Paul uh, uses terms here in in this uh, chapter 11. He uses broad uh, fundamental terms like creation, uh, nature, angels, every man, every woman. These are broad terms that obviously reach way beyond the little, or maybe big, I don't know, church at Clark. He, he, he obviously has a much bigger picture in focus when he starts talking about creation and, and nature and angels and every man and every woman. So it's clear that he's not teaching something specific for this group of people. Another question that comes up is, uh, is it just for public worship? Uh, A lot of uh, other denominations, uh, most every uh, Christian denomination practiced the cover head for women back a hundred years ago and on back. That was very common. Uh, That's just been, you know, just a little before our time that that has changed. And... and, uh, but that was, some of them saw it as that for a public worship service. The only time they did it was in a study like this, in church. So is that, is that what he's saying here? Well, let's ponder that a bit. He, he writes uh, here in, uh, in chapter 11, He goes all the the way through verse 16, never mentions once coming together, as we're gathered here this morning. Verse 17 is where he starts. When he starts talking about the communion service, then he mentions coming together. And in the last half of the chapter, he mentions it five times. When you come together. And so, it, it appears to me like when he switches to the communion service, he is obviously talking about a public service and coming together, and he mentions it again and again. He doesn't not mention it at all in the first half of the chapter. And, and if he was obviously talking just to the Corinthian church or just for public service, he would most likely mention it. Oh, well, that's not. Not any foolproof thing, but it's it's an observation that that when he starts talking about the communion service, he is obviously talking about public service. He is not mentioning that at all in in the beginning. The two activities that are mentioned are things that we do here in public service, praying and prophesying. And that is something we, we do here in public. praying is a person going uh, to the presence of God in praise and and supplication. That's that's what prayer is. And prophesying is sharing God with with others through encouragement, through teaching, counseling, and and in many ways we we prophesy. However, to, to conclude that this is just for public worship, uh, just praying and prophesying would would take away much of what our women do uh, as they serve God on a daily basis. Well, there's a lot of praying and prophesying happens outside of this study, and so if if the ladies are to be veiled when they pray and prophesy. Obviously, they would need to do it more than just right here. As we uh, observe God throughout history and throughout Scripture, we we see very clearly that God is the God of order. Uh, we see it all through creation—you know, the sun and the moon and the stars. And I'm, I'm not a scientist; I didn't, didn't really like science in school. But but there's there's all kinds of order out there in the, you know, the way they can predict uh, the moving of, of stars and planets and everything just amazes me. And, and the only way man with his small little mind can, can figure some of these things out is because God has an order to it, and therefore they can, they can figure it out. You know the fish are in the sea, the birds are in the air, the animals go around here on land. God has an order, and you cannot put fish in the air. You can't put fish on land. It, you know they have to be where God plans for them to be. And when God is the God of order, and when we into His order, that's the best place we can be, just like a fish in the water, a bird in the air. And we want to remember that, And when we fit into God's order, that's the best place for us. As we follow the children of Israel out of Egypt, through the wilderness, He introduces the priesthood and and the tabernacle, and all of this speaks very loudly of God being a God of order down to very minute details in in how all this uh, worship of him was supposed to take place. So it should not surprise us that he expects order in the church that he has left here to carry on his mission when he went back to heaven. So he says here in this uh, chapter, the head of Christ is God. And the head of man is Christ, and the head of woman is the man. Christ submits to God, who is perfect and good in every way. Man submits to Christ, who is perfect and good in every way. Woman submits to man, who is not perfect and good in every way. Therefore, it's very clear here that women have the more difficult role. Why is that? I don't know. But it's clear that they are to submit to a head that is not perfect in every way. However, there are things we can learn uh, from Jesus and his example of submission. Yes, he was submitting to a perfect head, but not always. He submitted to his parents. Remember the story in Luke where uh, they took him to the temple when he was 12 years old, and, and then they left and were traveling back home, and and after some time they realized he wasn't with them. He goes, they go back, and... Uh, find him in the temple, and his mother uh, seems to scold him just a little bit, why did you do this to us? And, uh, And then Scripture says this, it says, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. Were Joseph and Mary good and perfect in every way? No, they were not. I can imagine uh, Joseph was a carpenter, okay? He hit his thumb with a hammer at times, I'm guessing. And sometimes he forgot the measurements. And sometimes he made things that didn't fit and had to redo them. Was that frustrating to Jesus? Maybe. Uh, I don't know how all that worked. But we do know that Joseph and Mary weren't perfect and good in every way. But Jesus submitted to them anyway. So, ladies, when your husband and the men in your life are not good and perfect in every way, that doesn't mean there isn't a way to submit because Jesus did it. And he knows. He knows how frustrating that could be. Uh, I'm quite sure. Did it put Jesus in a box? You know, we hear that term. I don't really like that term, but uh, people feel like they're being put in a box. So are are we, when we are asked to submit, are we being put in a box? When we ask our ladies, uh, to submit. Are we are we putting them in a box? Did this put Jesus in a box? The fact that he had to submit to his parents who were not good and perfect? No, it didn't hinder him from becoming what God wanted him to be at all. He went on and fulfilled his calling in life uh, in spite of the fact that he had to submit to people that in some ways were inferior to him. I have. I'll uh, read part of a of a blog that I've I've mentioned this man different times. Uh, I'm not finding it here right now. I think somewhere. I thought uh, Frank Reed is a fellow that that I admire, and he wrote this uh, about this subject some time back. He says this. Woman is created to be helper to man. Woman submits to man as her head. This is the most difficult submission. Christ and men are to submit to a perfect head. Woman is to submit to an imperfect head. This makes it so important for her to select a man who is totally submitted to Christ. No man is perfect. Some men are submitted to Christ. Those are the men to follow. Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Sarah called Abraham Lord. Submission to for a woman means having a meek and quiet spirit. Meekness is power under control. Quietness is power under that is teachable. Have a meek and quiet spirit, just like Jesus to His Father. Woman is the glory is the glory of man, created to be his helper and support. That does not mean tolerating abuse of any kind. Get help if that happens, and and we all know that there are are many kinds of abuse. It's not just physical. It can be emotional. uh, It can be spiritual. It can be, there's many ways uh, people can be abusive. And I think what Frank is a counselor and deals with lots of situations like that and I think what he's saying here is that this this whole thing of submission has uh, very badly abused. And, and if, if there is abuse in a relationship that is not what God wants to happen, and particularly in a Christian community, get help. Go to your, your leader, go to someone you trust, whether it be your father or uh, an uncle or whoever. Some godly person and, and get help because that is not uh, what God has in mind. The challenge here is that us as men need to start by submitting to Christ. That is really where, where it needs to start. We have, we have a role as men to play in God's order just as much as the women do. And as we submit to Christ, that paves the way for the, the women in our lives to submit to us. And if you, you can't uh, get around that. If, if there's a submission problem uh, of a woman to the men, or, or if we as men feel there is a submission problem, the first place we need to look is Are we being submitted to Christ? Ladies, pray for the men in your life that they would be totally yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. And young ladies, as you look for a lifetime companion, choose a man that is submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. You will save yourself lots of trouble if you do that. And I will talk just a little bit more about that later. Or just a little more of creation order. That is definitely mentioned here in this chapter. Uh, God created man first. He took a rib from Adam and, and made a helper suitable for him. So man is given a leadership role. Paul mentions that. Man was created and, and he, he's the leader. Paul goes on to say that in the Lord there is equality as well as interdependence on one another. Man was made first, yes, but ever since that, every man that entered this world came through a woman. And so there is an interdependence on one another. And, as I mentioned before, God has a plan for order. And when we fit into His plan, that's the best place that we can be. So men and women are equal. Yes, we're talking this morning about God's order of headship. And women are to submit to men. However, in the Lord they are equal. And Scripture speaks to this time and time again. Uh, James four seven says, "Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you." That's said to, to women as well as men. Ephesians five twenty one, "Submit yourself one to another in the fear of God." That's said to men and women alike. Uh, 1 Peter three seven, "Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together." Of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So there's there's an equality there, and we do not want to in any way say that there's not, because Scripture is clear that there is. Galatians three twenty six. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So this is not a special place that God has for men and for women as far as in His sight. We're equal. He has order, yes. and We need to fit into that order. But we're equal in grace and in God's love and and uh, everything that God has for us. So let's not get that wrong. That is very important. Another phrase that is mentioned in here, well, one thing that I'm struggling with our new church system, uh, I don't have a time frame when I'm supposed to be done. <laughs> so I'm going to preach till I'm done. Uh, back when we were on the schedule, you just watched that clock, and when it got 12 o'clock, you were supposed to be done, and I don't really know when I'm supposed to be done, so... I'll, I'll sit down when I'm done. Another phrase here is, because of the angels. Apostle Paul had a real sense of uh, the world of angels. And let's just quickly turn to a few scriptures. It's, it's interesting, his, uh, his, his interaction with, with angels. 1 uh, Corinthians 4, uh, verse 9, he says this, For I think that God hath set forth us apostles last, "...as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men." So he's, he's acknowledging that the angels, angels are, are watching. In, uh, in 1 Timothy, he, uh, he mentions angels again. Matthew 3, uh, verse 16, he says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached on to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And we can go on and, and look at other times that, that Paul... Uh, experienced angels, and, and there's that one passage, if you remember, where he he uh, he explains something that, you know, I don't know if I was in the body, I don't know if I was out of the body, but I experienced this uh, wonderful experience in heavenly places. And so Paul was, was very uh, aware of the angel world around him. And so there's a lot of debate what, he, what he's talking about here, When he mentions angels, and uh, and not all commentators agree, and uh, we do know from Scripture that there are good angels and bad angels, And, and we have a little indication in Scripture how that happened when Lucifer fell. Some angels obviously joined him, and what was the issue? Why did Lucifer fall? He did not want to submit to the Lord. He wanted to be like the Most High. He did not want to submit to. So it it fits into this whole thing of God's order of headship. So he rebelled, and some of the angels chose to rebel with him. Therefore, I I would offer this possibility of, of what Paul's addressing here. When a godly woman is functioning God has designed, fallen angels notice there is a woman that is not rebelling like we do. And the holy angels see a woman who is submitted to God's order and authority, and they smile with appreciation, respect, and honor. She is on our side. She is one of us because she is submitted to God and God's order. A few thoughts in conclusion. In chapter 11 here, verse 2, Paul praises the church at Corinth for keeping the teachings he has taught them. And his expectation is clear but they will do the same with this teaching that he is presenting here. No one is ever more free to reach their full potential when they are functioning in the role that God has designed for them. Its boundaries are there to help you excel and not to limit you in any way. So to be, to fit into God's order is not putting you in a box. It's helping you to be all that God wants you to be. Young ladies, it is not likely when you meet your lifetime companion, or those ladies who have met your lifetime companion, it's not likely that it will be submission at first sight. That is not too likely. That's not how... My wife met me, I don't think. However, it is a question you should ask before you promise to live with someone for life. Can I submit to this man for the rest of my life? The more important question maybe for you ladies to ask is this man submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if he is not submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will have a lifelong struggle to submit to Him. So, ask that question first. Is he submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ? If that is fair, then ask the second question. Can I submit to Him? Men, let's see that man Let's be that man that is submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the beautiful ladies in our life can more easily fit into their role. God has a plan for order. And when we fit into God's plan, that's the best place we can be. Thank you.